This past Wednesday, 34-year-old uh, Major League Baseball umpire John Tumpain, he just finished lunch and he was walking across the Roberto Clemente Bridge, which at its pinnacle is about 79 feet, not about, it is 79 feet high at its pinnacle there on the bridge. And he was headed back from lunch to PNC Park where the Pittsburgh Pirates play to get ready to umpire the game between the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Tampa Bay Rays. And as he was walking across this bridge, he noticed that there was a lady that was beginning to climb over the railing there on the bridge. And he, he asked some people next to him, do you see that lady? Do you know what she's doing? And they said no. And he, he didn't hesitate. He quickly rushed to her, her side. And, and he, in a very calm way, he's, he's one as a baseball umpire that's probably had to learn to diffuse some situations. But in a very calm way, he said to the lady, uh, excuse me, ma'am, can I ask what you're doing on that side of the fence? And she said to him, I'm trying to get a better view of the city. He did not buy into this, and he said to her, he said, ma'am, I think that this view of the city is just fine from here. And then she, realizing that he did not uh, believe her, insisted that he leave her alone. At that point in time, he put his arm around her and said, no, I'm not going to leave you. Why don't you come to this side of the fence? She said, no, she didn't want to go to that side of the fence. And he put both arms around her, and at that point, her feet, she let her feet go, and her feet went off the edge, and he held her in his arms, and he said, ma'am, let's just get you to the other side. And she said, why don't you just let me go? You will forget me tomorrow anyways. When I read the story, when I read the story this week, and I, and I heard that phrase, why don't you just let me go? You will forget me tomorrow anyways. It struck something in me, in me. The umpire eventually did get her over the fence. He uh, got her the help that she needed, and he is being considered a hero. But in those moments there, as he was relating the story, and he said, you'll forget me tomorrow anyways, and he said that she said several times, no one cares, you don't really care. I thought about the fact that here is a man trying to save this woman, and in this moment, she, she, her, her self-value, her self-worth is so low, so, 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 so minimized that she doesn't even believe that the person that is trying to save her life values her. She thinks that, that he will just forget her tomorrow, that she's of so little value that, that, that if he just let her go, it won't matter. He won't even remember it the next day, the next day. Tom Payne uh, related to the Pittsburgh Gazette uh, this statement, and, I, and, I, and I, I appreciate this statement he made. He said, you never know what somebody's day looks like. He said, it's a nice day. Everyone's out for a walk, and somebody's not having the same day that you are having. There are many of us, maybe not to the level of the woman on the Roberto Clemente Bridge this past Wednesday, but there are many of us, there are many in our neighborhoods, there are many in our workplaces, there are many probably sitting even in this room, there, there are many maybe even in our own homes that, that have these moments where they, they wonder if they are truly valued, what their true self-worth is. Even those that, that do have people around them that value them, maybe because of our own insecurities, our own humanness, we have these moments where we wonder, am I really cared for? Am I, am I really valued? 
Today we want to talk about values. See, I believe that, that, that even those of us that are in maybe good and healthy situations, we live in a world that tries to devalue us. And due to our own insecurities, we may not really grasp the depth of our value. Well, how can we find our value? How can we discover our value? How can we know that we are really, truly, inexplicably cared for? Today's sermon is about a story of one person that found their value. And if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 16, and I thank you, Marilyn, one of our elders, for reading this morning. Genesis chapter 16, leading into this story, you may remember that Abram, Abram and Sarai, they're later known as Abraham and Sarah, are promised a huge family. But 10 years have passed, they've been in Bethel for 10 years, and no children have arrived. So Sarah comes up with a plan. Sarah comes up with a plan in chapter 16, in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. She was blaming this on God. She said, Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram Listen to the voice of Sarai. So, a, so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went in to, a, to Hagar, and she conceived. She got pregnant. The quickest move in our minds, if we just were reading this at a, a, a surface reading, the quickest moves in our, that our minds would probably make upon hearing this story in the 21st century is this is a really messed up plan that Sarai has come upon. And I, and I say this uh, tongue in cheek a bit, but I really hope your mind does say this is a really messed up plan that, that Sarai has come up with. I hope that no one thinks this is a good idea. Um, and so he says to, she says to him, take my, my servant. And, and, and Abram says, okay. And, and my 21st century mind says, man, this is, is going to lead to a whole giant mess. This is totally, totally a bad idea. We must be mindful, though, that our culture was not their culture and our time period was not their time period. And, and while this might have been an inadvisable plan, within the context of their culture and within the context of their worldview, this was not a moral misstep in the same way that we would necessarily see it. In fact, we have other evidences in the Bible of this very thing happening. You remember Rachel and Leah, what they do, they both gave their maidservants to their husband, Joseph, so that they could have more children. And some of those children that were born actually became the part of the 12 tribes of Israel that God used as his missionaries, as his witnesses in the world for thousands of years. This is, this is part of their culture, their context. And so as bothersome as this story is to our modern senses, the plan they made and followed through with may not be the most egregious part of their story. We may ask, on the other hand, though, we may look, while we may look askance at that, we may also look askance at, 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 at the, the slippage in their faith. Abram and Sarai decided 
in the course of time that they were going to help God out. God said, just remember chapter 15, uh, just last week, Pastor Andrea preached uh, about chapter 15, and she is, we're so blessed to have her. I watched the sermon in California online. I was blessed to, to be able to, to uh, be here with you all uh, in spite of being in California. But uh, in that sermon, you may remember, she mentioned how God said to Abram, look up at the stars in the heaven. Can you count them? You cannot number them. That is how large your family will be. That is how large your offspring will be. But Abram and Sarai have come to the place where they said, you know what? God, you're not moving fast enough for us, so we are going to help you out. We are that way, aren't we, sometimes? We, we want to help God out in the process. In fact, we're probably a lot more impatient than Abram and Sarai. We can, we can criticize them and we can judge them for them saying, you know what, they didn't wait on God, but they waited 10 years. Some of us are, are, are a lot more impatient. We literally kneel down and pray, God, I want you to help me in this moment. And we get up and the very first thing we do is we think, okay, now how can I solve this problem? We don't even wait on God one second. Anyone else have that issue? I'm doing my perfunctory prayer. I prayed. Okay, now God, I gotta figure this out. We don't wait on God at all. So, so, so here Abram and, and Sarai are saying, you know what, God, we are going to help you out. We are going to help you out. Their doubting is clearly, more clearly a wrong in the larger context of belief in this story. They were doubting and they were trying to help God out. But it is not Sarai and Abram's plan that, is, that I want to focus on today, their, their, their legal decision that they had made, nor is, is it their lack of faith in trusting that God could work a miracle and provide Sarai with a child that I want to focus on today. Today I want to focus on the individual in the story that is often a, just a secondary character, a character that, that, that we don't often focus on or think about. We, we, we will read the story and we'll say, what is Sarai thinking? And then we'll, we'll read further in the story and we'll say, what was Abram thinking? Why didn't he have enough faith to trust in God? But rarely do we ask the question, what was Hagar thinking? Didn't anybody want to know how Hagar felt about this whole scheme and this whole idea, this whole plan? We often overlook her. But I want to focus today on Hagar. Verse five, and when she, that is Hagar, saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. She's now blaming her husband. I give my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. In other words, Hagar knew that she was basically being used as a means to an end and and. And now she says, you know what? I don't want my baby to belong to Sarai. I want it to be mine. That's what, that's what I was speaking about when it said she looked on contempt and, and Sarai is mad about this situation. May the Lord judge between you and me, she says to Abram. Sarah says this. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. I want us to ponder the situation that Hagar is in and over her overall life situation. First of all, Hagar is a servant. She's a slave. She is a slave from Egypt. We don't have time right now, but, but you may remember a few weeks ago we, we looked at uh, Genesis chapter 12 and we saw that messed up story in which, which again, once again, Abram had a, had a doubting moment in his faith and he goes down to Egypt to get away from the famine in the land. 
And while he's there in Egypt, he does some deceptive things to protect himself and things that compromise his own integrity, that compromise the integrity of God, that compromise the integrity of his wife. But, but in the midst of those deceptive things in, in, in chapter 12, uh, Pharaoh takes notice of, of Abram's wife, Sarai, and for her sake, the Bible tells us, Pharaoh dealt well with Abram and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, and male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Pharaoh gave these things to Abram because of Sarah's beauty. One of those female servants Abram received in this exchange was most likely Hagar. We can safely assume that this Egyptian slave that is now being spoken of in chapter 16 was a slave that was given to Abram and Sarah in Egypt. In other words, Hagar was a possession. There in Egypt, she was a possession. She was of such a means and and valued so little that someone said, you know what? Here's this stranger in our country and we like his wife. We like this lady that is with him. And so we're gonna just give him this person to own. She had no free will to speak. And when Sarah gives Hagar to her husband, the Bible doesn't indicate that Hagar was ever consulted to see how she feels about this situation. No one ever said to her, Hagar, are you okay with this? If, 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 if I share you with, this, this, with my husband in order that you can have a child for me? No one consulted Hagar in this. She wasn't, her opinion wasn't valued in the situation. It only mattered what Sarah and, and Abraham thought. Another thing I noticed when I read the story, and I don't know if you've noticed this when you've read the story, is that neither Abraham nor Sarah ever actually refer to Hagar by name. They never actually use her name. They refer to her as a slave, as a maidservant, as, as a servant. They never call her by name. Now, probably at some point in their history, they did refer to her by name, but I wonder if the Bible intentionally leaves out them using her name to demonstrate, to illustrate how little they actually valued this woman, how little they actually valued her. She was of so little value, they don't even use her name. She is a commodity. She has a purpose, and that's just to bear a child, but no other value. The situation of Sarah having her husband sleep with another woman, as you might guess, causes some problems within this family dynamic. And so Sarah becomes angry, and her and Hagar have conflict. Now, in this moment, Abram could have done something to protect Hagar, to show her that he valued her, to show value in her. After all, she is carrying his baby. It's his first child. And, and, and he could say, you know what, Sarah, we're going to work this out. But instead, what does he say to her when she comes to him and complains about Hagar? He says to her, She's your servant, do whatever you want with her. In other words, I have no use for her. She is not of any value to me. He further degrades her. Here is a woman, step by step of her life, being degraded, being diminished in her value in who she is as an individual. Behold, your servant is in your power Do to her as you please. And that is exactly what Sarah does. And Sarah makes her life 
makes her life so miserable, makes Hagar's life so miserable that eventually Hagar has to flee from Sarah and Abraham. Now let me pause here and make a separate point. Abram and Sarah are believers in the one true God. They are people of faith as we would call them right now. In other words, they're like us. They're like us. They believed in the one true God. They worshiped the one true God. They followed the one true God. They, they kept the, the principles and the teachings and the instructions of the one true God. And yet they, these people, Abram and Sarah, were still devaluing this other human being in their life. When I read this, I, you know, it's very easy for me to say, man, Abram and Sarah were so bad. Abram and Sarah did this. Abraham and Sarah did this. But maybe it's good for us also being people of faith, many of us, also being believers, many of us, also worshiping the one true God, many of us, also calling ourselves followers of Christ. It may be good for us to step back and say, you know what, if Abram and Sarah, the called chosen people of God, could have such a blind side that they treated these people with little value, it may be good for us to, to pause and do an audit on our lives and ask ourselves, is there anybody in my life that I do not show value in? Is there anybody that, that, that I am not valuing the way that I should? Is there anybody that I'm treating in such a way that it lowers them as a human being? Maybe it's not just one person, maybe it's a whole people group. Maybe there's, there's, there's people in our world that we look at and we say, you know what, I don't know what God has, why they're in this world, we should just get rid of them. Maybe there's, there's people in this world that, that we may not say it with our lips, but in our hearts and in our minds, we think it and we devalue these people. Don't let us not think that we're that much better than Abram and Sarah. If it could happen to them, it could happen to us as well. And many of you know, and, men, and I know as well, and some of you have even experienced it, that sometimes the place we feel least valued is right here inside these walls where we should feel most valued, where we should feel most valued. We, we maybe aren't that much different than Abram and Sarah, and so we should do an audit on our lives. But back to Hagar. Hagar, in this moment, when the Bible tells us things got, got so bad, she flees, she could have probably made the same statement as that lady on the bridge. I'm just gonna leave because it doesn't matter. These people will not remember me tomorrow at all. I'll be gone and they don't even care. Abram said, do what you want with her. I am carrying his child, but he said, do what you want with her. Sarah treated me so badly that I had to run away. No one cares, no one values me. This could have been Hagar's sentiment like the lady on the bridge. Who is going to remember Hagar? Who is going to care? Abram and Sarah obviously don't. The people of Egypt obviously don't. Her owners that originally sold her obviously didn't. But the story continues in chapter 16 and verse 7. The story continues in chapter 16, verse seven. It could have been left there. You know, the conflict between Ishmael and Isaac and all these various things, that, that, that could have been gone. That could have been done away with. That could have been set aside. They could have just let her go and Ishmael go and we could just let it go, be done with it. But God in this moment in chapter 16 and verse seven finds Hagar 
The Bible tells us the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur, verse 8 of chapter 16. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I love, folk, when you read the Bible, how many times God asks questions to stimulate uh, a person's thought when he approaches them. But the other thing I notice that I love in this moment right here is that God uses Hagar's name. The first person in all of the story to address Hagar by name is the angel of the Lord. Abram's called her your servant, your slave. Sarah's called her my slave, my servant. No one's referred to her by name in speaking about her until God. And God steps up and says, Hagar. Why does God use her name? Because when we use someone's name, it adds value to their life. Dale Carnegie, he wrote the, the famous book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's one of the best sellers of all time business books. He says, when you remember my name, you add importance into my life. When you remember my name, you add importance into my life. And written in this book here in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse one, the Bible says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. Y'all, the first individual to address Hagar by name is none other than God himself. And yes, I believe this is God speaking to Hagar because notice his promise in verse 10. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for a multitude. No angel could do this. Only God can make this promise. And do you notice something about this promise? This is the exact same promise that he made to Abram. To this person that Abram and Sarah saw no value in. To this person that the Egyptians saw no value in. To the person that was just a slave of the land that was not valued by the culture. God says, I'm going to give you the same promise that I gave my chosen one, Abram. That you will have an offspring. There will be multitudes so much that you cannot number. And, Ab and God tells Hagar to call her son Ishmael. Why does he tell her to call her son Ishmael? Verse 11, you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. God said, name him Ishmael because every time you speak his name, I want you, Hagar, to remember that though Abram may not listen to you, though Sarah may not listen to you, though your masters in Egypt may not have listened to you, though they have not seen value in you enough to listen to you, the God of the universe values you enough to listen. Though no one else may hear you, Hagar, God says, I do. God hears, God cares, God values you. And then Hagar finally speaks, and, and what she says demonstrates to us the power of what happens when God comes into our lives. How can we know our true value? It's when we realize that the God of the universe hears us. He hears our afflictions. He hears the cries of our heart. He hears those insecure moments that we don't share with anybody else. And the God of the universe says, I hear you. And then suddenly, Hagar understands her value, and she says, she speaks out, and she says, so she called, the Bible tells us, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. And she names God El Roy, which means the God who sees. 
God says, name your son Ishmael, the God who hears. The God who hears. And she says, and I name you God, El Roy, the God who sees. Here was a woman who was blind by society standards, blind to others by society standards. Here was a woman that was not valued by society standards, by the culture standards, and yet God steps in to her life and she suddenly realized, I am seen by somebody. I am valued by somebody. The message of Genesis chapter 16 isn't just about Abram's lack of faith. It isn't just an illustration for Paul in comparing the law of promise and the, and the promise of faith. It isn't just about the poor decision of Sarah out of her lack of faith. Genesis 16 is a story of a woman who has been devalued her entire life and suddenly she realized there is one that values her, the God of the universe, and it changes everything. It changes everything for her. Genesis 16 is a story of a woman that felt probably like the woman on the Roberto Clemente Bridge. Genesis 16 is a story of an individual that, that may come home every day and not feel valued by their husband or their wife or by their children. It may be the story of a person that goes to work and thinks to themselves, why do I even work here? If I left tomorrow, none of my colleagues would know me or remember me. It may be the person that pulls into their garage every day and says, man, I wish I could know my neighbors, but I don't think they'd care about me. I have nothing to offer. Genesis chapter 16 is the story of an individual who was not valued in this world until suddenly they realize that the God of the universe hears her and sees her and sees her. And folks, if we doubt that this is what God is communicating to us, I want you to hear this. In the Bible, all scholars will tell you, one of, the, one of the studies that everyone should do at some point in time is to study the names of God. To study the names of God. They help us understand his character, who he is, what's he, what he's about. How others viewed him and saw him. We, of course, know Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Here's a very interesting thing. The very first person in all of Scripture to name God other than himself is this woman that no one saw any value in. She's the very first one. God says, you know how much I value you, Hagar? I value you so much that I'm going to let you name me. Elroy, the God who sees you may be valuable to no one else, but I value you enough that for the rest of history, one of the names that will be spoken of me came first off of your lips because you are valuable to me. Elroy, God sees. The story of Genesis chapter 16 is more than just a theological treatise. It is more than just lessons on lack of faith in Abram and Sarah. It is a story of salvation. Hagar, in this moment, realizes for maybe the first time in her life that she is valued, that she is worth something. I believe in this world, 
in this world which constantly in every way, in every shape, in every form is seeking to devalue us. We look at billboards and we see pictures of individuals and we say, man, I don't look like that. I must not be valuable enough. We, we, we look at our bank account and we say, man, I don't have enough money. I must not be valuable enough. We look at, 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 at people getting a raise in their job and, and we think to ourselves, maybe I'm not valuable enough. We look at all these things. I don't have kids. I'm not married. Maybe I'm not valuable. We live in a society that actually places all these externals upon us that actually devalue us. And God comes into that whole world and he says, I see you and I hear you and I want you to know that you are valued. I hope that each and every one of us in here today will know how truly valued we are by the king of the universe and that as we see that we are valued by the king of the universe, that that will change our lives in such a way that we will be able to say like Hagar, you truly are Elroy, the God who sees. You truly are Ishmael, the God who hears. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you are a God that sees and a God that hears, and I pray that each person in this room will know that in the depths of their heart. They will know that without a shadow of a doubt and that that will change their lives. Lord, help us to recognize our need for the God who sees us and the God who hears us, and may we allow ourselves to be wrapped in your loving embrace to pull us over the edge to safety. In your name we pray, amen.